Welcome to Meathead Hippie. I am your host, Emily Schramm. I'm located in Denver, Colorado. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I am obsessed with learning. I am obsessed with teaching. I'm a trainer and entrepreneur, and I am so glad you are here. I love my guest today, Emily Fletcher. I'm going to get into it in just a second, but before we do, happy early Valentine's Day. I love love. So this is a fun week, regardless of if you think it's a joke of a holiday or not. Um, Take care of yourself. And for me, that has been the biggest eye-opener in my life, understanding my stress levels, which is what we'll talk about today in so many ways, because we are all so stressed all the time. And we have talked about this with Adrenal Talks and my Body Awareness Project, Adrenal Repair, and my hashtag, Adrenals with M. But I think one of the things that I noticed is as an empath, as a highly sensitive person, as somebody who just gives and wants to give and gets fueled by giving, holy shit, what are we doing to put in and not put out? We're always giving output. So if we can change that story and make sure no matter what, there's input, which is what we're talking about today with meditation with Emily. It's crazy. It's like we are so (laughs) unsure. We don't even know what to do when it comes to taking care of ourselves. Our stress relief is our workout, right? We're putting work in, in our head, but we're actually outputting. We're doing something. So what do we do to take care of us ourselves? that helps us heal. And so that is the theme of this week of self-care of Valentine's day. Just really understand that it's not, um, one size fits all. It's not overnight. It's not just being mindful of it a couple times and it changing. It's really hard, but it's also incredibly necessary. And so get curious about it. We have 20% off the rest of the month for my body awareness project starting today. So that was just something that was heavy on my heart because I know it's just a ton of information. It's 14 hours plus a box of essentials that are getting shipped to you. It's a lot. And so it's just something that feels more, it's not accessible, but it is accessible. And I want you guys to understand taking care of yourself, whether it's through loving the skin you're in quite literally and helping yourself with your blemishes or acne or rosacea, or learning how to sleep better, learning how circadian rhythms tie into our stress. If you're a shift worker, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're busy, that is what these programs have been made for. So take care of yourself, 20% off to make it easy, no code needed. Just go to thebodyawarenessproject.com or on Instagram, Body Awareness Project. Okay, Emily Fletcher, this is just perfect timing. Uh, she is the founder of Ziva. I am just obsessed with this lady because she brings it, but brings it with grace. There's not this hardcore go, go, go. She, but she is being heard. And when you think about that, like who is influential, but doing it in this way of understanding their power, it's because they have tapped into something internally. It is not external. And she just launched a book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on um, stresslessthebook.com. You can find it on zivameditation.com. You can find her 
on Ziva Meditation for Instagram with tons of great tips. I'm going to read her bio and then I just want you guys to dig into this podcast. It's so good. Um, Okay, so Emily Fletcher is the founder of Ziva, the creator of the Ziva Technique and regarded as a leading expert in meditation for high performance. And I want you guys to know we talked about the difference between mindfulness and meditation and then we get into the best, what she calls the dessert of this all, the manifestation where you make shit happen. Um, the Ziva technique is a powerful trifecta designed to unlock your full potential. Benefits decrease stress, deeper sleep, improved immune function. Really, she got into it because she was on Broadway in New York, constantly going, 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 constantly stressed, was an insomniac, didn't know what to do, saw somebody that was just glowing and beaming, which is who she is now, and fell in love with it. It changed her life forever. And so this is her life's work and it is important and it has inspired me. I am starting Ziva Meditation starting tomorrow. It's 15 minutes and I just can't wait. So uh, just keep in mind, like this is hard stuff, all of it, and it is not going to happen overnight. But if you do not start it now, when will we? And how can we make sure that we can sustain this? We can make a legacy because we're not going to burn out by the time we're 40. (laughs) We're not going to burn out by the time we're even 21, all you crazy budding entrepreneurs. Uh, But even for anybody at any stage in their life, especially when it comes to aging and stress, Let's tap into our most abundant source of anti-aging and self-loving, and that comes from inside. So I just can't wait. Enjoy. Last thing I'll say, please, 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 if you love the podcast, if you like the podcast, if you kind of like the podcast, leave a review. I would love to hear what you think, and it really helps with my ratings on iTunes to get more people to see the Meathead Hippie meathead hippie love. So give me some love if you can, if you have some time and please enjoy. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Emily Fletcher, it is so wonderful to have you on Meathead Hippie podcast. I, before we started, I was like, the, your, my audience is going to just fall in love with you. So thank you for being on the show. This is going to be so great to talk about because it's so needed. I agree, girl. We are living in an <laughs> age of, you know, stress is becoming an epidemic. Doctors are calling it the black plague of our century. Harvard Medical School recently released some studies saying that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctor's visits. Mm. This is solvable. There is a tool out there that can solve it. We're just not doing it. I know. And we're so, you know, sometimes I think when we're just jumping right into this, but it's like Mm -hmm. the self, is it self-sabotage or is it the lack of awareness? And so Mm. really helping people understand that and navigate that with the work that you do. I first want to start because they're listening and I don't think they, you know, when you listen to somebody, it's different than like seeing them face to face and being in their energy. And the way I met you, you just, you just walked by our tea booth and I was just so like, I love this woman. (laughs) Who is this person? So we were at Wellspring and I'm just so glad that we finally had time to make this chat because you just bring good out of people, which is what you've been doing for 11 years. I mean, maybe even longer than that. So 
I just uh, can't thank you enough for the time and all my listeners. If you listen to her voice, this is how magical she is in person as well. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Isn't that a when you meet someone, you're like, oh, we're going to be friends. And then we were, we were both Emily's. It was like, oh, done. See done. You. Check, check. You're on Meathead Hippie ASAP. Yeah. Well, we to no one. I feel very similarly about your energy. I was like, ooh, who are you? Thank you. So, I'm happy that. we're diving in and getting to share this knowledge with folks. Uh, this is a perfect place to start about stress and about, I think what I really want to start with, because this has been heavy on my heart about how mindfulness feels, mindfulness feels like just hard work. It's just so uncomfortable. It's understanding. So I'm really into the Enneagram. Um, and I get these Enneagram emails every day that kind of tell you about your type. Like I'm a type seven and type sevens are always going from one thing to the next. And it always reminds me of these things that I do that aren't necessarily positive. So mindfulness is me kind of being like, oh gosh, okay. Yeah. That's not a positive trait, but it's definitely different. Mindfulness is different than meditation. Mm -hmm. And I would love if we could just start there because I think there's a big misconception about that. And I need to understand that more. And I think that's just a perfect place to start with your expertise. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. Most people are using the terms mindfulness and meditation as synonyms, but they're not actually the same thing. And you're right, mindfulness can be hard work and it can be guilt-inducing and it's very, it requires discipline and focus and concentration. And what's interesting for most people to know is that mindfulness was originally designed for monks, whereas meditation and certainly what I teach at Ziva is designed for people with busy minds and busy lives. It was actually designed to be integrated into your life to make you better at life. And this is the drum that I keep beating again and again is that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Sadly, no one cares if you're a good meditator. This is very hard for me because I'm very competitive. I like to be the best at things. Same. And so, (laughs) you know, but no one cares if you're a good meditator. No one cares how many or few thoughts you're having when you're sitting quietly in a chair. But the good news is everyone cares if we're good at life, Mm. right? How kind are you? How compassionate? How creative? How present? How often are you getting sick? How effective are your workouts? How's your sleep? How's your immune system? Like people care about this. You care about this. And to me, that is why we meditate. And so to go into a little bit of the science between the difference of mindfulness and meditation, mindfulness is all about bringing your awareness into the present moment, right? Like right now, you might be able to hear my son. I have a seven-month-old baby. He's crying in the background, right? So here we are. I'm recording an audio podcast and my son is in the background. So present. It's the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Beautiful, powerful, necessary. This is very different than meditation. So the type of meditation that I teach at Ziva, it's all about giving your body very deep healing rest, rest that is five times deeper than sleep. And when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. Mm -hmm. One of the things that it heals itself from is stress. And the cool thing here is that Ziva is not just getting rid of your stress in the now, like mindfulness. It's actually getting rid of all of your stress from the past. The dog that barked in your face when you were 12, the time that your mom left you crying in the next room when you were seven months old, the divorce when your parents were, when you were 12, like all that stuff gets stored in our cellular memory. Mm -hmm. And over time, that stress makes us stupid, sick, and slow. 
And so if we engage in a daily discipline of meditating, then we're not only creating a state change in the now, we're not only like, oh, I feel good now, we're actually getting rid of the whole backlog of stresses from our past so that we can perform at the top of our game. And that's the important piece, right? For people, that's why people are noticing how can I perform? How can I be at the top of my game? And so let's just keep going on this. Like, let's get people amped to dig into this because when we look at high performance and when you think of high performance with the people you've worked with, with the companies you've worked with, these are not, these are not small companies, right? So that's really the key is how does this make me perform better? So meditation, let's just get people amped up about meditating and understanding how can something like meditation and a consistent practice and not just mindfulness, Mm -hmm. how can it make us perform better? You know, I'm just like at the edge of my seat because this is something I also need to know, but I think it's so important to really define those whys and then we can get into the hows. Sure. So basically, the first seven chapters of my book go into the science behind why meditation can help you have better sleep. So falling into sleep faster and getting a deeper, more restful sleep. And the cliff notes of that is basically that if you don't have a daily meditation practice, then your body has to use sleep as a time for stress release. And that's what insomnia is. You lay down, you get a little rest, your body's healing you from stresses that happens in the form of thought. And then your mind is off to the races at 6am and you haven't slept a wink. So we have like a 90% success rate with insomnia. That's my, my story is, you know, I used to have debilitating insomnia for 18 months, learn meditation. And on the first day of my first class, I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And I have every night mm-hmm. since that was 11 years ago. Um, so we have a whole chapter on sleep. There's a whole chapter on reversing your body age. So there's some interesting science coming out of Tufts and also Wake Forest, suggesting that a regular meditation practice can reverse your body age by somewhere between eight to 15 years. Wow. I know. Wow. And I was like, come on guys, like that can't be, this is not magic. Like this is not a fountain of youth and it's not, but if you want proof that stress ages the body expeditiously, look at any president the day they take office and that same president four years later. Even Obama. I mean, Obama's here. I was, I mean, he was like young and fresh. And I, I was like, that was four, you know, just comparing like kind of campaign to campaign. I'm like, that was four years. <laughs> yeah, just four. But they all age like 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. Yeah. And that's because they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're under an extraordinary amount of stress. Now, conversely, you know, look at your face in the mirror after a week's long vacation when you're doing yoga and swimming and having sex and eating great food. You look younger. You look more beautiful. And, and one of the points that I highlight in that chapter is that it's not about chasing youth. It's about chasing health. Mm. And I think that sometimes we think we're chasing youth when we're actually chasing a youthful glow, which you can get after exercising at any age. Um, so I think it's not about looking young. It's about looking healthy and feeling healthy. And, and the cool thing about meditation is that it actually, because it's the most powerful stress-relieving tool we have, we now know that in addition to reversing your body age, it can actually um, strengthen and lengthen your telomeres, which are the little casings at the end of your DNA, which I liken them to sh- um, the plastic caps at the end of your shoelace. Mm-hmm. You know, if that plastic cap comes undone, then your shoelace will come unraveled. Well, similarly with telomeres, as they shorten, then your actual DNA strand, uh, that double helix starts to unravel and that impacts your body age and your death date. But if you are engaging in meditation and strengthening your telomeres, it's actually protecting your DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this stuff is not just like 
hippy dippy woo woo. Let's sit around and picture each other's chakras. I mean, it's it's like legit science is coming out. Thousands and thousands of peer reviewed studies. Um, there's a whole chapter on. Uh, why meditation actually can help you make more money because this is the number one excuse that I hear from people is I don't have time and it's like okay well what are you busy doing my guess is making money right because that's what we do with 90% of our days I got to make money I got to make that cheddar I got to make money and it's like the, it's like the boogeyman that we're all still like totally justified in being afraid of mm -hmm. not having enough money and so it's like, okay, well, what if there was a tool that would not only help you make more money because your brain is going to work better, what if you could actually enjoy your life a lot more, right? Which is, I would, again, argue, why are you even trying to make money to begin with? Yes, because it's the search of what you think money is going to give you, right? Yeah. It's like saying, I want... I want to be successful. That's what we want the money for. And then we get the money. And that's why people are just standing at the top of the mountain, feeling empty and sad and confused and just searching for another mountain. So yes. uh, this is Gryffindor, by the way. Gryffindor. Hi, Gryffindor. Hi. I love it so much. I love but what you said. Oh, there. It's like, if you don't have the ability to access your bliss, your fulfillment, your happiness internally, right here, right now, it's very easy to convince yourself that your happiness lies at the, at the other side of the climbing of this mountain. But then you climb that mountain. Now you've proved to yourself that you can climb a mountain. You still don't have access to your happiness that only resides inside of you. And now you've proved to yourself you can climb it. So you think, well, my happiness must be on the top of the next mountain and the next one and the next one. And we just keep doing that until we die. And, and the thing I love about meditation is that it, in no uncertain terms, gives you access to your happiness internally in a self-sufficient way. So you're actually flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. And so it feels nice when you're doing it, but then that bliss, that fulfillment bleeds out into the rest of your day. It seeps into everything that you do and it actually transitions you from being need looking to be fulfilled and it turns you into fulfillment looking for need. And that paradoxically is the very thing that allows the gap between your desires and your desires becoming manifest to get shorter and shorter. Yes. I just got chills because it's the exact analogy of contract expand. Can mm. you feel yourself expanding in those moments? Absolutely not because you're so worried about the end result. And so there is no expansion. There is no expression to allow this kind of flow state that all these Facebook advertisements, right, are promising us and manifestation. And it's, it, it, the biggest first step is understanding that it's internal and it's our own thought process. It doesn't take an external thing. It's something you already have that the full ability to access. That's so great. And it's true what you mentioned about the glow. That is a hundred percent accurate. Like that people love to hear. I, I love to hear when they're like, God, you're just glowing. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's not just the collagen. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like we want to say it's certain supplements, but it's truly this internal happiness that I think has to come from understanding our stress levels. For you, I have a lot of people have, that have asked about insomnia. Did you try everything up to that point? I mean, 18 months is so long to yeah. not sleep. Life like, sucks when you're tired. It's so hard. It's so hard. Um, mm -hmm. One bad night of sleep is like, I, we, we have talked about this with insulin and the ability for handling cravings, you know, it decreases insulin sensitivity by 30 plus percent. So your cravings are off. It's just like being hung over, you know, mm. and, and then it just expands every single day when we don't get sleep. What were some of the other things that 
you tried with insomnia and then what really opened up, like what made you think, let me try meditation. Mm. So I'm trying, I don't actually remember what I had done back then. I think I was doing melatonin. Mm -hmm. And the thing about melatonin is if you don't hit that window, like if you don't like get into sleep, like immediately, then you're, I was up for the night. So it's like, I had to like take it and then immediately put my head on the pillow and just hope. Um, yeah, and hope and pray. Um, I was doing, I don't remember what else I was doing then, but now I do have some sleep stuff because, you know, I have a seven month old, so I'm nursing. And so my sleep is interrupted. So it's really important that I fall back to sleep as quickly as possible, especially as I'm launching this book and running a company, you know, my sleep, I have to be really diligent about it right now. Um, so I recommend uh, magnesium glyconate. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a supplement that most people are deficient in. And I recommend taking it like a half an hour, an hour before bed. It's not uh, like a sleeping pill, but it, it is a mild muscle relaxant. So that's nice. I'll take that before bed. And then I sometimes will put lavender oil on the bottoms of my feet. And I also will take magnesium oil and spray it and put it on my traps, like massage it into my traps or feet. And then a bath, you know, hot bath will go a long way. Mm -hmm. Sleepy time tea is nice too. But honestly, since I've had this practice, I really don't suffer from insomnia anymore. Because really like what 90% of insomnia is, is your body using your sleep as a time for stress release. And so if you use the meditation as a time for stress release, you could, your body can use your sleep as a time for sleep. So not only does that get rid of your insomnia, but it also makes your sleep deeper and more efficient. So ultimately you need less of it. I love it. And it's so cool because as soon as you get some of it and you tap into it, everything else in life falls into place, right? So it's not as much focus on sleep, sleep, sleep. It's just this overall well-being. Because it's true, 90% plus of issues of people finally going to the doctor saying, I'm sick, I'm sad, I don't know what to do. If you go down the chain of where did this originate, it is our inability to tap into parasympathetic. We just don't mm -hmm. even know what that is. And we also, I, I would love to know your opinion on this. Do you think that internally the way we are right now in society that's like a terrifying thing to be calm and to be not go 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 like you know whether it's demonized or like to be like it's lazy or whether hustle is just glamorized i sometimes wonder if we're all at this point what maybe happened that makes us so afraid of being chill mm. well two things one i do think that people are afraid of feeling their feelings. I think that people are terrified of what's going to come up and out. That's why people leave the TV on in the background or have the radio going or constantly on their phones because they they don't want to think about their lives. They don't want to feel that backlog of feelings. And so what's happening is we have like a volcano of, of you know old trauma stored up. And, and so it's like we don't even want to put our toe in because we think if we even put our toe in, it's going to be like a fiery tsunami that will come bursting out. And for most people, that's true um, because they haven't had any sort of catharsis or release. And the beautiful thing about meditation is that it goes in and it, it creates these mini, you know, like, Catharsis? Catharsi? Is that a word? Catharsis? <laughs> um, multiple catharsis. Um, like a little uh, pressure cooker. It's, just, it's releasing that pressure. It's releasing that anxiety, releasing that depression. And, and over time, after practicing, you actually have the freedom to feel the entire spectrum of your emotions because you're not afraid of dipping your toe into some explosive well. It's like, 
oh no, I can cry and I cry for five minutes and then I feel better and I move through to the new now. Um, so it's not that meditation stops you from feeling. It doesn't make you numb. It doesn't change your outside circumstances, meaning that life will still throw you curveballs. There will still be demands, but your ability to adapt to those demands, mm-hmm. it's going to get so much better, so much easier. Um, so that's one thing. People are afraid of feeling their feelings. And then two, what is two? What was the original question? About the thing, like why we're so afraid of being calm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yes. So the other one is that I think we're all just trying to prove to everyone else that we're busier than they are so that they will adapt their schedule to ours. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I'm busier than you, so you have to meet me at 3 p.m. I can't meet you at 2 p.m. in your neighborhood. And so we're all just proving how busy we are because it makes us feel important and more important than the people around us so that they have to adapt to us. I can imagine that being especially true in... I just, that I feel that when I land in New York City. It's like, a, it is insane. I just can't, I'm so impressed. And I'm going to dig into your own personal routine a little bit later because I think that's like, I live in Denver, right? I have beautiful sunny days and outside things, but not everyone lives in a place like this. It's whether it's the weather, like it's always rainy or whether it's always cold, you know, there's so many variables, but the people around you also can be a huge piece of that, which is why that internal work. I have this quote that I thought when you said the dip the toe in, mm-hmm. this really made this triggered it. Um, I just found this. It's from Jamie Oliveria, and I'm not sure of her work, but she's a poet. Uh, it says, "I am afraid that if I open myself up, I will not stop pouring. Why do I fear becoming a river? What mountain gave me such shame?" I just thought that was so exactly what you said. Like, why yeah. are we so afraid of pouring out when? that's maybe exactly what needs to happen. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Will you send that to me? I love yes. that very much. Yeah, of course um, I will. Yeah, it's, we're afraid of pouring out because there's so much backlog. And, and honestly, that's part of why it's important to have a meditation teacher. It's part of why we created an online community for every single person who reads the book because this stuff is not a joke. It's not a toy. And it can really create you know, some up and out motion. You know, it can kick up some old dust and it's important to have a community and a teacher to support you through that, to be like, oh, you know what? We need to take our foot off the gas here. Or I know this is tough, but you're right on schedule. Let's just stay the course. Um, And sometimes if you don't have some guidance through that, it's very hard to know. Like, is this normal? Is this this scary? Um, But really we have a theme song at Ziva and it is better out than in. (laughs) Better out than in. And my nerdy dad joke is like, look, you can either cry this stuff out and put it in your tissues or it's going to show up in your tissues, right? Like in your physical yes. tissues. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. There was a recent example I thought of this. So I, I'm obsessed with adrenals and um, we have a body awareness project for stress and handling when we kind of like meditation was not a part of our routine. Let's just say that. Like we went down the road. So for me, what I see all the time is people outwardly, they have been able, they are so strong. They are so adaptable. They are incredible at coping externally and they think internally they're okay too, but it's just who they've been their whole life, whether it was as a kid or as they grew up or situations that change and somehow it's manifested in an organ at some point in their life. It, it will hold on in some way. So even the people that are like, no, I'm fine. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on and you know, that, oh yeah, the shit just hit the fan, but I'm totally fine. It's like, there is no way you are totally fine because your body puts it somewhere. And if it's not in that tissue, 
It's exactly. I love that. That's a great dad joke. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well done. Yeah, thanks. But it's true. Because the thing is, we have an opportunity to learn our lessons on the spiritual plane. And if we don't do that, then we have to learn them on the psychological plane. Mm. And if we don't, and that gets more expensive, right? We have to pay our therapist $200 a week for the next decade. And if we don't learn it there, well, guess what? Now we got to pay the surgeon $10,000 and cut it out as cancer. And so it's like, people are like, oh, you know, how meditation is so expensive. I can't believe you're charging money for meditation. It's like, look, this is a lot cheaper and a lot faster than you having to pay your therapist for a decade or pay the surgeon, but it's going to show up somewhere. Yes. And it's so cool too, because you find people, you know, you're like, wow, there's like a level of tolerance we can have systemically and externally. Like our organs can handle a certain amount of stress. You know, we can handle some infections and still run our life without getting you know, put on the bed for a week. Like we are able to handle stress, but it's so interesting when there aren't tools like this. And I can't wait to, I'm just like so excited to dive into your course head first because I feel stuck with mindfulness and being confused with what we talked about is mindfulness is not meditation because mindfulness right now is that present. It feels like such work that it doesn't feel healing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. that's what I want to tap into. And that's what I want to help people. Guys, if I can do it, you can too. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why the mindfulness feels like work. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's probably because uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there, right? There's like this one dude going around telling everyone that in order to meditate, you have to clear your mind. And so then you're like, all right, everyone's talking about how good meditation is for me. Oprah says it makes her a thousand times more productive. Let me give this meditation stuff a try. And we sit down and we close our eyes and we're like, all right, brain, stop thinking. God, there's a lot of construction in the background. Hopefully, the baby's crying while she's doing a meditation podcast. Man, now I'm thinking about construction. Now I'm thinking about how I'm thinking about construction. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that is the beginning and the end of most people's career. And it makes me sad because they potentially rob themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment and better performance because they're judging themselves based on misinformation. And then to your point, it feels like work. You feel like you're failing. None of us will do anything for very long that we feel like we're failing at. And then we quit. And so the really good news here, so if, and this, I really want you to listen up. If you've ever tried meditation and felt like a failure, here is some good news. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to stop thinking is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. And yet this is the criteria by which most people are judging themselves. And so, like I said earlier, if you, if you feel like you're failing, you're, you're going to quit. And so the, what I love about Diva and why I'm really on a mission to share this stuff with people, it's why I've spent the last three and a half years writing this book, is just to let people know that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation effort is. And if you're trying to effort your way through your meditation and be a good meditator and clear your mind, it's just always going to feel like work. And you're not going to be seeing a return on your investment and you're investing your most valuable resource, which is your time. And so if you're not seeing a market return on your investment, then of course you don't have time to meditate. And so I would say if you've been trying, if you've been struggling with meditation, and you can't clear your mind, one, no, that's um, not a thing. Right? Like, you just let that go. Um, but two, if you're not seeing a return on your investment, that I would highly encourage people to explore other techniques because you can't get your time back, right? And you really don't want to waste it. And I know people are like, oh, but I've got this free app. And it's like, there are some cool free apps out there. And they're really good at um, you know, helping you 
change your state in the right now, but there, there isn't really anything out there like an, on a free app that's going to get rid of the stress from your past. It's really going to give you a return on your time investment and to uplevel your performance. And, you know, there is that old saying for a reason of like, you get what you pay for. It's like, if you're not willing to surrender anything, then if you just got a free app, you know, there's 58 billion, I'm sorry, that's a lot, 58 million people who have downloaded free meditation apps and only 1 million who are paying like to use them, which suggests to me that there's 57 million people out there who have tried and quit meditation. <laughs> I raised my hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it's like, because if you don't have any skin in the game and you're not actually being educated on how to do it, then why would you keep doing it? Yeah. And it's so, I mean, that's why I think what you said originally, I think about competitiveness, that was why I think competitive people and kind of type A, we have a really hard time because we want that immediate return. We want that just like going to the gym. You know, we went to the gym for two weeks and if we don't see the results we want, right, it's so frustrating and demoralizing. And um, I would love to tap into your thoughts on kind of patience in this process before we get into your own kind of work and what you do, giving yourself a little bit of grace and that, you know, getting rid of this guilt that we live with day to day Um, for you in your own journey when you were learning and also as you teach, it takes time, right? So what is something for people that get frustrated for people that want that ROI? How do we help them and me, you know, even talking to myself, how can I be gentle on myself as I finally learn this new tool, this new mechanism that really will pay off in the long run, but it feels so hard to access. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I would say, know that meditation is a skill like any other. So really, the, the patience you have to have is, am I willing to learn the skill? Am I willing to read the book? Am I willing to take the 15-day online course for 15 minutes a day? Am I willing to do that upfront investment? But once you learn the skill, and if you have a tool that is designed for you, then you shouldn't have to be all that patient. Like It's pretty fast. Like my students know this changes very quickly. Sometimes first day, second day, third day, but usually by like day four or so, um, they're in what I call the Listerine phase where it's like, I know it's working because it's burning. And like, they get really sad and angry and like that catharsis starts to happen, that healing release. Um, and that's where it's nice to have a teacher and a, some guidance. Like you're doing great. This is going to pass. I promise this is not your new reality. And then you move through and you're like, Oh, my food tastes better. Like sound is sweeter, lights are brighter, I'm kinder to my kids, my workout is more effective, my sleep is better, I haven't had an anxiety attack since I started. And I, you start to realize just how much time you're wasting being stressed. And then you're like, oh, I can't imagine not doing it. So really the only, I think, patience you have to have is just investing the time it takes to learn the skill. And then it's, if, it's, if it's a skill that's designed for you and not a monk, it's pretty fast. That's perfect. I think that's that's an easy answer. If you're not doing it, it's because you truly, truly don't want to. <laughs> it's like <laughs> done. You just are self-sabotaging it. Well, then, then it becomes resistance, which is really resistance of your greatness. It's you know, we're it's our light that we're afraid of, not our darkness. You know, yes, that's like why. What would happen? What's what would happen if that was to break free in, inside of me? You know, and that's terrifying mm-hmm. for people that really don't understand how much value they can bring to the world. So that makes, that does make a lot of sense. I listened to a recent 
uh, podcast you did that said um, about heart rate variability, which I love because we had an expert on that in the podcast talking about how good that is for our health and seeing our recovery. And you mentioned that this is very similar, right? This, this type of being able to adapt to calm and knowing that it's not always like peace, 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 but it's also not always high, high, high. It's just how we're ebbing and flowing. Like there's a huge range and meditation gives us that ability for that range. And I think that was just such a perfect description because Mm. it's just so true. We expect complete bliss and peace versus this ability to also have just adaptation. We can talk adapt to this as we need. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, we, we often, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of Ziva is that it, it increases your adaptation energy, which is your ability to adapt to your current circumstances. Hmm. If you're not being attacked by a tiger, then you being in fight or flight is maladaptive. And it's not only wasting your mental and physical cycles, but it's not appropriate. Um, now, if you get jumped in a back alleyway, launch into fight or flight, go right ahead. That's an appropriate time to get stressed. And the thing to highlight here is that it is not bad for you to get stressed. Mm -hmm. That's why high intensity interval training is a thing. That's why cryotherapy is a thing. That's why, you know, ice baths. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not bad for you to get stressed. Short-term acute stress is actually good for you. It's called hormesis. But this long-term, low-grade, chronic fight or flight, it's the staying stressed that's killing us. Yeah. And this is, I hate the term adrenal fatigue, but adrenal dysfunction is Mm -hmm. a very, very- I had it. I was on, I was on adrenal medication in my twenties before I found meditation. Were you on like straight cortisol steroids? No, it wasn't that intense. I was on like just a metagenics that like a a chiropractor, it was on the adrenal, uh, adreset by metagenics that, uh, like functional medicine doctor put me on. Yeah. I think that that really was my, if I know most of my listeners know the story, but for me, it was I was putting more and more on my plate without taking anything off. And mm-hmm. every, everything that I did for stress was output. So my workout was my stress relief, quote unquote. And my uh, giving to somebody and loving somebody was my, quote, stress relief. And I finally realized, oh my gosh, I have no input. This is all output. And it manifested in horrible SI pain and lower back pain and extreme fatigue and depression and crying for things that I shouldn't be crying for. And that truly became like my eye opener of, I have to figure out what I'm doing differently because this Mm -hmm. isn't sustainable. And that's what we, it's so true what you preach because it's not, we can be all in, we're going to have hard weeks. We're going to have weeks that are just going to demand a lot from us, but the adaptability is what allows those weeks to be able to be crushed. And then we can take a step back and take care of ourselves. And then Mm. the more we can take care of ourselves with this meditation, it makes complete sense how we can completely output more without hitting adrenal dysfunction again. Yeah. And if you use it well, it can it really can be like the icing on top of the cake to where you feel like you have superpowers because it's the equivalent of taking an hour long nap. Like what I teach in the book is only 15 minutes. So you do a 15 minutes meditation in the morning is the equivalent of an hour nap. And then the same thing you do in the afternoon. So imagine being able to take an hour long nap, but with no sleep hangover in only 15 minutes, the amount of uh, creativity and feeling refreshed and presence uh, and serendipity that you might have on the other side of that. So if you're using it well, it's like you're inserting those moments of reprieve, those moments of 
unfocusing into your day so that you can be more focused and give more on the other side. And so you don't have to necessarily like burn it out one week and then hole up in bed for the next week or go into like beast mode for three months and then end up in the hospital. You know, it's like the cycles are more um, gentle and they're faster. The rest cycles, you're inserting them into your day so that you can really show up as the most amazing version of you in the rest of your life. Yes. And I would love um, to tap into this because you just had a baby and you just wrote a book. And so how did you, as you're doing both of these things, um, what did that look like? I'm currently writing my book. And so I'm just selfishly curious about this because you have such an expectation, right? There's deadlines, there's this pressure and it could be anything, right? So wherever you're listening, whatever your pressure is, when you look at this, even though in our head, it's like we're writing about something peaceful maybe, or for me, it's I'm trying to write something that's going to help somebody. It still is an obligation and it still is work. And so how did you navigate that? Like what's your own practice throughout that journey and Mm -hmm. what was kind of the struggles, but also like the profound, (laughs) like, I'm so glad I meditate because Mm. that's a lot to kind of all have on your plate at one time. So it's been a big, big, big journey. It's been three and a half years I've been working on the book. And, you know, I see seven months old now and I was pregnant for, it's actually 10 months, everyone. So um, it's not nine months, it's 10 months. Um, I don't know why we got that. It's really misinformation. <laughs> 40 weeks. Let's spread that. Divided by four is 10. <laughs> um, anyway, I've been, you know, growing a human and growing a book for a really long time and doing them both simultaneously and running a company with, you know, I have full-time staff and, you know, thousands of students. It's, it's been full out, no question about it. and there were often times that I felt like a hypocrite where I was like, I'm writing a book about stressing less. And here I am like specifically in my postpartum. Well, let me start the good part. Like my pregnancy was a dream. I had a, I got pregnant on my first try at 39 years old, um, which there's a lot of bad science out there about maternal age and fertility because people are conflating maternal age and maternal health. So it's like, if you are getting more healthy as you get older, your fertility should not necessarily decline until you hit like menopause. But anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, but I just thank you for are, saying that. People are stressing themselves out unnecessarily based on bad science. So mm-hmm. I have lots of students getting pregnant for their first time in their 40s. We have like 70s Eva babies right now. Uh-huh. So anyway, I got pregnant on my first try, 39 years old, and then had a great dream pregnancy. No fatigue, no nausea. It was awesome. So I was writing a lot of the book then. So I was teaching and writing, and it was intense, but fine. And then I had a very, very challenging labor, which is hilarious because I had already written a course called The Blissful Birth. And I was like ready to hit send from the hospital bed. Like, well, let me just get through it. And then I'll just share it. It'll be such a great story about how blissful my birth was. And then I shared this course. (laughs) That too, I had a four day back labor. Oh, four days, everyone, just from Wednesday to Sunday, I was having back contractions and spasms every six minutes. It was like nothing I've ever experienced. Uh, And then I went into the most brutal postpartum I've ever really heard about. I got, uh, like he got jaundice and then I wasn't making enough milk. And then I got um, mastitis, which is like, he which is when you get like basically the flu and because you get clogged ducts. And then my stitches came out. I had, to, I had to get stitches and my stitches came out. And then I got a sty. 
And then he had a tongue tie. And so nursing felt like broken glass on top of blisters, on top of fire. Like it was excruciating. And then on top of that, you're not sleeping because you're up every three hours and then your hormones are changing. And I was a hot mess. Like I was so sad, so tired. I was not meditating. I wasn't sleeping. I was like surviving. Like I was in straight up survival mode, like battle mode. And in hindsight, like now I can look back on it and be like, well, I stopped meditating because I needed to be in fight or flight. Like I needed that adrenaline and cortisol to keep me awake and to deal with the excruciating physical pain that I was in. And so I'm like, there's no guilt or it's like, we don't meditate. Again, we don't meditate to get good at meditation. It's not about having a perfect career of a, as a meditator, but it was like, honestly, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't, if I didn't have the backlog of meditation to carry me through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what sort of accounted for how quickly I bounced back. So I'd say once he was about a month old, I started doing once a day meditation. And then at two months, I started back on my twice a day meditation because that's when I went back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, when I went back to work, I knew I had to get very religious about the twice a day again. And that is what helped me to get out of victim mode. Uh, like I went from having thoughts of like, you know, why did this happen? Why did I have this birth? Why I've been working so hard on my health. I prepared so diligently for the birth. Like why, you know, these victim, why me thoughts mm-hmm. and into like, why is this happening for me? Started asking better questions, started feeling more human, started feeling more rested, even though I wasn't sleeping. We got his tongue tie fixed. So the nursing stopped hurting. Um, you know, I finally started supplemented with formula, which I didn't want to, but it like, he, he stopped starving, you know, and it took the stress off of me feeling like a failure for not producing milk. And so anyway, it's like, just because you're meditating does not mean that life is not going to happen. Yeah, I did. I took a break. And, and meanwhile, I should say that in the deep, dark time, I also had deadlines. So I had to like turn my book around to HarperCollins. So it's three in the morning, I'm like crying, holding the baby, nursing and like have a red marker in my mouth, trying to like edit pages with a marker in my mouth because my hands are occupied. (laughs) So it was a hilarious journey. But um, meditation is the thing that got me out of that hole. And now like I'm more disciplined about my self-care than I ever have been because I'm in the most intense time of my life. Mm-hmm. Oh God, thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important for people to see it's not this cure-all and it's we're all human, right? It's learning how to be better humans in every yeah. single scenario. Well, you're badass for all of that. I can't even imagine. I mean, I will one day experience this. So it's just, thank you for telling me 10 months. And yep. <laughs> I'm not prepared. <laughs> and, and I will say it's all worth it. Like he is such a joy. And I, it, it's like the pain, you know, that, uh, is it Rumi? No. Uh, Khalil Gibran. It's something along the lines of the pain carves out space for more joy. And I think that's why Libra is as intense as it is. It's why postpartum is so intense. It's like that pain has to go in and carve out space for the extraordinary amount of joy that comes on the other side. Ooh, that is, that is a good quote. Because that is what I feel like sometimes when I'm like, God, I am working on myself so much. This just sucks. This is just hard. But it's because you're clearing. It's clearing for this new you, this new person. I want to finish with talking about what I know is addressed in your courses and in your work, manifestation. Mm-hmm. And really changing the language of, I think part of it being 
it's so hard. We like are trying to fake it, just like telling your heart mm-hmm. to stop or telling yourself mm-hmm. to stop. I see this all the time where it, whether it's social media or whether it's again, these Facebook advertisements that are just all over. It's like, <laughs> how can this, how can you be really, really stressed, especially if you are in financial trouble or you're starting your own business or you have a family and you're doing this, 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 but now I'm supposed to manifest and be like, I'm supposed to be in this abundance arms open. And it, that shift just doesn't, you know, they make it sound like it's easy, but, and maybe it is easier than it's, it is, but it's so, I think misinterpreted. And so I would love your, just your quick thoughts on manifestation and how you kind of teach it in your course of like, this is what we end with. This is what we do. This is why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give people like that start, that reminder of what true manifestation is and what sure. it looks like. So you're absolutely right. Like in our courses and, and in Stress Less, Accomplish More, I teach the three M's. So we do teach mindfulness, we teach meditation, and then we teach manifesting. It is the dessert of the Ziva technique. And what I have found is that doing all three together is so much more powerful than any one alone. Because uh, you can meditate all day, and if you're not clear about what it is that you want, it's very hard for nature to give you the thing. And conversely, you could manifest day in and day out. You could put vision boards all around your house, watch the secret on repeat. But if you are not meditating, then chances are you don't believe that you deserve your desires. And so it's, it's, uh, you don't get what you want in life. You get what you believe you deserve. And so the meditation, it's again, it's like carving out that space. It's carving out the stress from the body so that you can start to believe that you deserve what you're worth. And, and one of the things that came up when we met at, at Wanderlust at that Wellspring event, you know, there was a big, um, you know, big conversation around whiteness and wellness and um, like the, how a lot of people have like appropriated these tools and techniques largely from brown and black communities and then made them cost prohibitive. And now people like in uh, disenfranchised communities can't afford these practices. And it was a big conversation at Wellspring. And it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to and, and changing a lot of our give back models and our scholarship programs. And um, anyway, I just want to acknowledge that I do basically someone asked the question, is manifesting a privilege? And I think to a certain extent it is. I think that if you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight and if you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you're actually in survival mode, um, I mean, like, yes, you could make a bigger philosophical argument that, ev- that we're manifesting our reality at all times. But if we're going to get very real, it's like, it's hard to like picture your dream job when you're starving and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's step by step, bit by bit. Um, but let's just assume that your basic needs are being met. Okay. Like if you're listening to this podcast on your iPhone, right. Then like your basic needs are being met and, and then we can look at, cause it's steps, right? It's baby steps. If you're in survival mode, well, how do you get into feeling stable? And if you're stable, how do you get into thriving? And once you're thriving, how do you get into making a big impact? And once you're making a big impact, how do you make a big impact on generations to come? So it's, we can't really go from like, I don't know where my dinner is going to come from. to like, I want to heal the world for generations to come. It's too many steps. Mm. And so uh, to me, manifesting means consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. And regardless of where you're starting, you still have to know where you're going. I mean, look at Oprah, look at Obama, like look at these people who've achieved so much. Oprah did not come from privilege. She did not come from wealth. And she's one of the richest, most influential people on the planet. Um, So at some point she had to see where she was going. You know, there's that Wayne Dyer quote, you'll see it when you believe it. 
-hmm. And skeptics like to go through life thinking, well, I'll believe it when I see it. It's like, well, the big visionaries, the people who are creating the biggest things on the planet, they see it first. They have the idea first. They know where they're going and then they take action. Mm -hmm. But it's always both. It's not just manifesting. It's you getting clear about what you want and then taking inspired action. And then the third piece to manifesting is detachment. And a lot of people, it's hard to be detached about the outcome because they assume that they will be happy once they achieve the desire. Mm -hmm. And that's called the I'll be happy when syndrome, and it doesn't work. Um, and that's where meditation becomes such a powerful component in the manifesting piece because the meditation is the thing that's allowing you to flood your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, access your fulfillment internally, which in turn gives you detachment around your desires. Because if you wake up and access your bliss and fulfillment during your meditation, when you you come out of that, you're no longer under the illusion that your happiness lies on the other side of any person, place, or thing. And if you don't think that they can make you, then they also cannot break you, which makes you one, more fearless, and two, more detached. And you know, bravery and detachment is a much more powerful recipe to manifesting your dreams than fear and attachment. Oh my God. I just want to clap. That was so good. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that was so good. And it's so funny because I'm like, uh, I'm following, I like went down the rabbit hole and I'm digging into all of Oprah's past because I'm like, how, what was her journey to this? Right. It's not just tenacity. It's not just, um, hustle. It's not just belief in self. It's really, she got curious about mm -hmm. her tribe and she got curious about bigger issues before even her audience was ready for those issues. And I thought that was just, that's just so cool to me is seeing those people. And I mean, gosh, you're, I just am so excited for you for this book, for everything. Stresslessthebook.com, Emily Fletcher, I, Ziva meditation, all of this. So what's the best place for people? It'll all be linked below. But if you had to pick one or two, I mean, I think get the book and sign up for these mm -hmm. online courses, but where do you want people to find you? Social media links, et cetera. Yeah. So I would say the easiest and fastest, just go to Amazon or anywhere books are sold and just get yourself a copy of Stress Less, Accomplish More. And then there's, um, as you said, there's stresslessthebook.com, uh, which if you get it before, when is this coming out? Do we know when you're airing it? Soon. Oh, Very soon. Yeah. Great. Soon. Because um, <laughs> there's some awesome bonuses that you get if you order the book before the 23rd. But um, there's also forever and ever, what's always available is zivameditation.com. And if you go there, you can get information on our live courses, our online courses, and then we're at Ziva Meditation all over social media. That's Z-I-V-A. Oh, I love it. I have one more question. I ask all my guests this. I think you pulled a spirit animal card when you got some tea when I saw you in Wellspring. Do you remember this months and months ago? Um, what is your spirit animal? I would say my spirit animal is a cheetah. <gasps> oh, that's good. They just yeah. found, they found a, it wasn't that he, um, he has some sort of pigment issue in Kenya, a cheetah with pigment issues. And so it looks like a black panther. I don't know why I just thought of this, but all these cool stories online right now about these, this, uh, a black, a solid black cheetah. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see the spots, but it's like a pigment issue. It's a really rare thing that's been spotted like the first time in a hundred years. So anyway, cool. maybe, I'll, maybe that specific <laughs> animal is my spirit animal. That's you. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Emily Fletcher. This has been such an honor. And I know this is so powerful for everyone listening. It's powerful for me. So I appreciate your time. 
It is my pleasure. I am so grateful for the work you're doing. Thanks for having me.